Welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, May the 26th, 2022, here at Colin Chance House. And, incidentally, talking of dates... I've been asked to tell you that there will be no recording, sadly, next week, June the 2nd, as the Jubilee celebrations mean that there would be no postal collection. So I'm sorry if you're disappointed, but of course this was out of our hands. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition. With me to read the articles today is Maura Lowe and our sound engineer, Alex Gwynn. Welcome both. We are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope that everyone enjoys this offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatre ones, readers' letters, birthdays, and thought for the week. Obituaries are, nowadays, placed following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767766, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. Right, well, we have only one birthday to remind you of this week. And it's on the 29th of May, and it's Margaret Joincy. So happy birthday, Margaret, when the day comes. Now I'll ask Moira to read us the thought for the week. This is from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of those wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
Thank you, Moira. Now those useful telephone numbers. I've already reminded you of the number here at Colin Chance House, Worcester 767766. The Police Non-Emergency 101. Crime Stoppers 0800-555-1. Worcester Hub, that's Council Matters, Worcester 765765. Worcester Live, that's for the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall, Worcester 611427, Malvern Theatres 01684892277, Out of Hours Medical Services 111, and Samaritans, 116123, and that's a free phone number. Now we'll move to the headlines. So your turn first, Moira. OK, my headline is from Friday, May the 20th. Girl bitten in face by dog. The owner of the dog has appeared in court after the animal bit a seven-year-old girl's face, leaving her needing extensive surgery. James Palmer of Dent Close Worcester admitted being the owner, person in charge of a dangerously out-of-control Rottweiler which caused injury when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester yesterday. The child was mauled by the 31-year-old Rottweiler which was on a lead at the time in Dent Close on April the 11th last year. There is an application to make a destruction order where the dog would be put down. The case is likely to cause more discussion about the risks posed to children by dogs. We have previously reported upon an unconnected case when two-year-old Lawson Bond died after he sustained serious injuries at his home in Egdon on Monday, March the 28th, following an attack by Rottweilers. Duty solicitor Joe Outhwaite said the dog liaison officer who had made the report on Palmer's dog had not explored alternatives, including a contingent destruction order, which may involve, for example, muzzling the animal in public or keeping it indoors at times when children are leaving school. Shivali Patel, prosecuting, said the attack happened at 2pm and was witnessed by a woman sitting on her balcony. Two girls were outside... One older girl, aged between 10 and 12, and the other, the victim, estimated by this witness to be between 5 and 7. The older girl had been holding two ice creams, one presumably for the younger girl, the court heard. Mrs Patel said, The younger girl started to walk towards the dog, and she, the witness, saw the dog turn on the small child, biting her head and her face. She saw the child grab her face and walk away backwards, her friend crying. The defendant asked the girl, has he bitten you? It took several attempts to get the defendant out of his ground floor flat. Eventually he handed over the Rottweiler. It was seized and brought to the police van, said Mrs Patel. In interview, Palmer said he had had the dog since he was a puppy and he had been on a leash with a harness at the time of the attack. Palmer said the victim had been stroking the dog when the dog attempted to take the ice cream from the child, not bite the child. 
Palmer told officers it was just an accident and that he took a long time to come to the door because he feared the dog would be put down. Photos of the child's injuries, including a bite mark to the child's cheek, were shown to magistrates. Mrs Patel said the victim is seven years old and has had to have extensive surgery for this injury. It is suspected she may need to have future surgery. Palmer had no previous convictions. The dog has been in kennels since the attack. Joe Arthwaite, defending, asked sentence to be adjourned. She accepted it was a serious case, but said the dog had been on a leash at the time and had not displayed any previous aggressive behaviour. Mrs Arthwaite also argued that no consideration had been given to any other options. She called a recommendation by the dog liaison officer for the dog's destruction a huge leap, made on the basis of a brief conversation with unidentified kennel staff. The case was adjourned until June the 24th to get more information from the officer. Palmer was granted unconditional bail. Now the headline for Saturday and Sunday's edition. Car crashes into house. Garden wall destroyed by early morning strike. An out-of-control car smashed into a house in an early morning crash that woke neighbours. A man driving a BMW crashed into the home, completely destroying a garden wall. A garden wall was reduced to a pile of rubble, with car garden furniture lying scattered. A silver BMW was left with the front bumper almost hanging off and one of the wheels completely destroyed. A woman who was looking after the house yesterday while the owner was at work following the crash at 5.30am said the car was completely written off, I assume. It did a lot of damage to the vehicle and the wall as well. She added that the driver was taken away by police. Her husband said, I think he went into the petrol station and drove off and lost control. A lot of big cars come down this road at high speed. A neighbour living opposite the house at St Wollstone's Court off Bath Road said, I was in bed but my husband was literally walking out of the door when he heard the car go out of control and hit the building. He went over and the driver got out, but he didn't seem to be speaking much. I was watching from the window and the police put him in a van and took him away. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesperson said, We were called at 5.28am to reports of a single car RTC on Bath Road, Worcester. An ambulance and paramedic officer attended. One patient, the driver, declined ambulance treatment and was left in the care of police. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service also attended and had to ensure that the building was safe. A spokesperson said, Three crews, two from Worcester and one from Droitwich, were called at 5.36am. The incident involved an RTC with one vehicle colliding with a building. There were no persons trapped, but there was structural damage to the property and advice was given to the occupier. There were no casualties. It's not known how the crash occurred, but neighbours also raised concerns about speeding along the road. A neighbour added, 
It's a good job that it was at half five and no one was around, because if he hit someone, it would have been awful. People come round the corner and just speed right up. I can't believe no one had been knocked over before. West Mercia Police said it was called at just after 5.30am Friday morning to Bath Road, Worcester, following reports that a car had collided with a wall. Florin Stanchu, 33, of Bath Road, Worcester, was arrested and has been charged with drink driving, driving without a licence and driving without insurance. OK, my next um, headline is Stag Do's Sinking Feeling. A stag party caused chaos on Worcester's canals, which ended with a boat sunk in a lock and another abandoned. River Canal rescue teams had to pull the boat from the waters of the canal in Droitwich after the water drained slowly from the lock overnight and the boat was part submerged and caught at an angle. The boats were hired from ABC Boat Hire in Lowesmore, Worcester by a group of men believed to be on a stag do. It is understood the group left Worcester Marina on Friday afternoon before sinking overnight in a lock and abandoning another boat in Stoke Prior near Bromsgrove. Canal and Rivers Trust is planning to launch a full investigation. A CRT spokesman said, I think it was a stag party and there were three boats. One got into trouble and that was because they didn't operate the locks and the paddles properly, so ultimately their boat got stuck. The first time the Trust was notified of the situation was at 9.30pm Friday, but that was only in relation to some flooding on a nearby road. By about 10.15pm, it was identified as being related to misuse of the locks. At 6.50am this morning, Saturday, we were notified by the fire service that a boat had sunk. A team from CRT visited the site where it was found that the water had dropped overnight, creating a slight risk. The spokesman added, We are relieved that there have been no injuries or anything worse. Two of our staff have stayed on site to make sure it is secure and they are liaising with the fire service and river canal rescue. The rescue team shared their efforts on Facebook. The post read, A rescue team on site refloating the hire boat that has come to grief at the Droitwich Lock flights. All the boats were owned by ABC Boat Hire. An ABC Boat Hire spokesman said, Full handovers were carried out at the marina before the guests left the boatyard yesterday afternoon. The parties have been removed from the other boats in the group and no one has been hurt. The boat is currently being removed from the lock. Fellow canal user Amanda Huxtable claims that her boat was hit by an ABC boat shortly after 10pm on Friday night. She said, I called the police because I was extremely frightened by the events. These guys were incapable of being in charge of a 65-foot narrowboat. ABC had let three narrowboats to a stag party. One sank in a lock after mooring in it, one went elsewhere on the canal system and the third hit me at Aswood Lane near Stoke Prior. Tuesday, May the 24th. All-time high. CCTV expert says city car thefts are booming as his vehicle is targeted. 
A man who installs CCTV said car crime is at an all-time high in Worcester, as he became the latest victim of people trying doors. Ricky Sankey of Lansdowne Crescent Lane, Rainbow Hill, was alerted via his home CCTV system of a would-be thief looking through his car in the early hours of yesterday morning. He said, Car crime is at an all-time high. It's a constant problem, particularly in the WR3 area and also in Kemsey and Warnden. The video shows a man on a bike stopping on Mr Sankey's drive and using torchlight to look through the windows of a vehicle. After realising there was nothing he could steal, he can be seen retrieving his bike, which was leant against the van that was also parked on the drive, and leaving. Mr Sankey is a security installer by profession and owns his own business, called RS Protec Worcester. He said, I install home CCTV for a living, so I know firsthand just how important it is to have this technology set up. I had a notification come through on my phone at 12.10am this morning, which my wife heard. I have an intrusion alarm installed, which alerts me to any suspicious activity. He continued, Thankfully, the guy did not break into the cars. I always make sure that anything valuable is never kept in the vehicles overnight for this exact reason. I've had a lot of people, especially in the WR3 postcode area of Worcester, such as Northwick and Clanes, on a regular basis, saying they've had similar incidents to this. CCTV is always a big outlay but this footage shows how important it can be. The incident has yet to be reported to the police, with Mr Sankey saying that the police are rarely interested. I cannot remember the last time I saw any police car, day or night, in our area on patrol. They're rarely ever interested. It certainly needs addressing. The most recent CCTV footage follows a trend of reports throughout Worcester. Two men were recently seen acknowledging a CCTV camera, yet continuing to look through a car's contents on Springfield Road in Worcester. West Mercia police were unavailable for comment. Okay, my next headline is Hoodie Saved Her Life. A little girl attacked by a dangerous dog is lucky to be alive saved by a hoodie which stopped the animal sinking its teeth into her throat. The girl, aged just seven at the time, suffered a deep bite wound to her face when the ferocious Rottweiler leapt at her and latched onto her cheek during the attack outside her home in Dent Close. So this is the similar... This is the same story as the headline from a couple of days ago. Um, James Palmer, who owned the dog, appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday where he admitted being the owner, person in charge of a dangerously out-of-control dog during the attack on April the 11th last year. Sentencing has been adjourned until June the 24th to get more information from a dog liaison officer who has recommended the dog's destruction. 
In an exclusive interview, the family has told the Worcester News that whatever the court decides, they do not want that dog living back in Dent Close, especially when so many children play on the grass outside. If the dog is permitted to live with his owner in Dent Close, they say they want to be moved by Platform Housing, which manages the property. Imagine if it was a person who tried to kill you and you had to carry on living next to them. It was lucky. I feel the hoodie saved her life, said her 35-year-old stepfather. If the dog had grabbed her neck, that would be it, he added. The girl, now nine, said, When his paws were on me, I felt how strong he was. I felt the power. Her brother, who was 11 at the time, also witnessed the attack, rushing upstairs to alert their mum. The dog was on a chain when she said Palmer told her he was friendly and so she went a little closer and stroked him on the head. Then I saw he was looking at me and he looked like he wanted to attack me. He was looking me straight in the eye and looked like he was about to pounce. He jumped and bit, she said. Palmer tried to pull the animal back and slapped the dog, she said. She estimates the attack lasted around two seconds, but left a gaping wound to the left side of her face, on her lower cheek near the jaw, exposing the tissue beneath. I was shocked and scared. I didn't feel the pain. Neighbours were looking and told me to get in and tell my mum, she said. An ambulance took us to Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester. She was initially given painkillers, but the surgery could not be performed straight away. The wound had to be cleaned and stitched under general anaesthetic the next day and her family say there is still a lump under the scar. The skin still gets red when it is hot and can be itchy and cause discomfort to her more than a year after the attack. Medics are still unsure if she will need further procedures and are keeping things under review, her family say. The family dispute 31-year-old Palmer's claim that their daughter was holding an ice cream at the time and say it was an older girl who was holding both ice creams when the dog attacked. Her mum, 41, said, I'm not really happy for him to have the dog back. She is just really lucky that the dog let go. I'm afraid the dog will attack other children. We reported the tragic case of Lawson Bonds, too, who died following an attack by the same breed of dog in Egdon on Monday, March the 28th. That really upset me, said the girl's mum of the boy's death. She described the dog that attacked her daughter as very large, coming up to her hip. In particular, the family is concerned that there was a contingent destruction order made. The rules would not be followed and another child attacked. A contingent destruction order means restrictions can be imposed instead of the dog being destroyed. This could mean, for example, the dog having to be muzzled in public. Now, when the girl sees a dog, particularly one of the same breed, she stands behind her stepfather for protection and wants to hold his hand. She is very concerned for other children who live nearby and does not want the same thing to happen to any of them. There are other kids here much smaller than me, she said. Her mum said that there were at least ten of the children who lived and played in the area, often on the grass outside where they had picnics in summer. Despite what happened, the girl still loves animals and wants to be a vet. Bunnies and kittens are my favourites, she said. And lastly, the headline from today, Thursday, May the 26th. A rather sad one, I feel. Tributes to lovely homeless man. Familiar city figure found dead in hostel. A popular homeless man who was trying to turn his life around was found collapsed by heartbroken hostel staff who fought to save his life. 
Tributes have poured in for Ben Chrysler, who battled drug addiction and was found dead in his room at St Paul's Hostel, Tallow Hill, on Monday. Staff tried to save his life and perform first aid until paramedics arrived. Flowers and messages of condolence were left at Mr Chrysler's favourite seat on steps near Asda. He'd been staying at the hostel since February 2020, initially under the care of the Housing First team and latterly with the hostel team. Chief Executive Jonathan Sutton said there had always been hope that Mr Chrysler would turn a corner and get his life back on track after spending his longest time off the streets. Mr Chrysler, believed to be from Pershaw, had contact with St Paul's Hostel for at least 10 years and it was not the first time he had stayed there. Mr Sutton said it was the longest stint where he did not return to sleeping on the streets of Worcester. His death is starting to hit home and the staff and other residents who built authentic relationships with Ben will feel it. They knew his idiosyncrasies. Yes, he could sometimes be awkward, but these moments passed often with an apology. He continued, staff knew his routine. They knew what food he liked, ribs and ice cream, what food would make him grumble, everything except ribs and ice cream. (laughs) They knew how to cheer him up and when to leave him alone, when to draw boundaries and when be tolerant. There was a noticeable change in Ben as the spring arrived. He was taking much better care of himself, keeping his room tidy, telling us he wanted to change for himself. I suppose we all had our fingers crossed that change was finally coming to Ben's life and he was finally thinking about turning that imaginary corner. Anyone who came into contact with Ben will have a memory. I'll remember how animated he could be when talking about the latest book he'd read, his theory about the origins of Covid and why having a Covid jab was a very bad idea, Jonathan, (laughs) or admiring the work of Sir David Attenborough. He talked about becoming an architectural blacksmith and imagined, once free from addiction, how he would enjoy relearning that art. I must use the opportunity to commend the two members of St Paul's staff who found Ben and sustained first aid until relieved by the first responders. Also, West Midland Ambulance Service and West Mercia Police, who came quickly to our aid on Monday evening. And to everyone new who have worked with Ben over the last decade. Former staff at St Paul's, our colleagues at Cranston, Worcester City Council housing team, Mags Day Centre, all the Worcester street feeding stations, street pastors, the police, the probation service and Hope Church. Everyone tried to do their best for Ben, sticking by him through the many ups and downs and trying to keep hope alive. And now this is followed by a little article of tribute to the people who actually knew him. A measure of how Ben Chrysler was regarded was how swiftly flowers were left at the steps near Asda, one of his favourite spots. 
They said he was always grateful when someone tried to help him and often had kind words and sometimes hugs for strangers and friends alike. He was also said to be kind to animals and to ask about the welfare of Worcester's swans. Wayne Bullock of Lowesmore said he was a volunteer for a swan rescue charity and Mr Chrysler wanted to know how the swans were prospering. He always asked me how the swans were, how many chicks they had. He was a caring bloke, said Mr Bullock. John Parks wrote, wrote on Facebook, Very sad. Saw his face round Worcester a lot. Never knew what people are battling with. R.I.P. Kath Allen said, Remember Ben from Pershaw. So sad. Mark Garnis wrote, Never did anyone harm. Just sat there reading a book. Sometimes I bought him a coffee on a cold morning. He was really grateful. No more problems, Ben. Andrea McMurray said, Very sad. R.I.P. Ben. I saw him sitting outside Asda a few times. Always polite, had his book, and I would give him a fiver here and there. Addiction is horrid. It can happen to anybody. Just takes one thing to make us go off the rails or something drastic in our life to change. Joe Smith said, I used to see this lovely man outside Asda a lot. He once looked in the pram at my baby and congratulated me on her arrival. I was so touched as barely anyone would come near us, let alone speak to us, because of being in the second lockdown. I was really grateful for his kindness and thoughtfulness that day. And lastly, Donna Dee described him as a polite and charming character. A really sad story to end with this evening, and as so many people said, rest in peace. Now for a sports item, and this week I've chosen one on cricket. Safe hands, Ben. Worcestershire's keeper cocks into the history books as he makes the 400th catch in a big victory. Ben Cox became just the fourth player in Worcestershire club history to clock up 400 dismissals on Saturday as Worcestershire cruised to victory over Leicestershire in the county championships. The wicketkeeper took four catches in Leicestershire's second innings as the visitors were bowled out for 170 confirming the pair's innings and 259-run win with a day to spare. Head coach Alex Gidman also praised the achievement of Cox in becoming only the fourth player to achieve the feat after Steve Rhodes, Roy Booth and Hugo Yarnold. He said, Ben is an outstanding keeper, as we know, does his job day in and day out without too much of a fuss. He's still very agile and mobile and does his job very well, so we're delighted for him to get on to that landmark. Ben also batted very well and gave us that impetus. He had a fine day with the gloves. It was an impressive display all round from the hosts, who ensured they had Sunday off after getting the job done on Saturday. The county's win sees them move into second in the LV Insurance County Championship Division 2 table, with promotion to the top flight becoming a possibility after six matches. And Gidman reported that the mood in camp reflected their good early season form. 
I've said for the whole season that the mood in the changing room is brilliant, he added. They're having fun, enjoying each other's company, smiling, laughing. Even when we've had some dips and some poor sessions, they've still been a really happy bunch and enjoying their cricket. That hasn't changed at all, and coming off the back of a good win here will give us some more momentum. Worcestershire now have a break from county cricket as the Vitality Blast T20 season gets underway. The Worcestershire Rapid began their 2022 campaign next week with three away games in five days. They start at Yorkshire Vikings on Wednesday before a trip to face Knott's Outlaws and ending the week at Lancashire Lightning. Okay, so there haven't been many letters this week, but I have got a couple of uh, delights for you. Um, This is from Ian Cranston of Worcester. Dear editor, I do not represent our MP Robin Walker or our government. I am merely a retired accountant. However, in response to the letter in Worcester News, fuel duty confusion on May the 19th, Our government does not have a policy of price control. We have what is known as a free market economy. This effectively means that the reduction in fuel duty reduces the petrol retailers' costs and it is up to them at what price they sell their products at the pumps. If they sell at too high a price, then consumers will go elsewhere, so the market price is determined by competition. Excluding the gas and electricity industry, together with a few other limited examples, this is how every business in the UK operates, and it should not come as a surprise to any intelligent consumer. If you think a particular retailer of any product, including petrol, is profiteering at your expense, then do not buy from them. Go elsewhere, simple. Or how to put half the population's back up. Um... And my next one um, is from Phil Brown, BNCE, provider of the People's Pension. Dear Editor, the cost of living crisis is impacting people living in Worcestershire and across the UK and has prompted many to pay careful attention to how much they pay for utilities and services. So, it's interesting that fewer than half the adult UK population, 48%, care about the charges they pay on their pensions. This is compared with 7 in 10 who pay close attention to how much their mortgage or current bank account costs them. Many people don't realise that over a lifetime, overpaying on pension charges can potentially cost a saver thousands of pounds from their pension pot. We believe that all pension providers should show their charges in pounds and pence on an individual's annual pension statement. We think this would improve transparency around pension charges for millions of retirement savers around the country. Thank you Moira. I do hope that next time we'll have more letters. These letter pages seem to be few and far between nowadays. So we'll go on to the general articles and my first one is Heartbreak at Home Con. A heartbroken couple who found their dream home said it nearly turned into a nightmare after almost falling for a scam. 
Kayla Griffiths and boyfriend James Green were led to believe a two-bedroomed house could be their new home after seeing a Facebook advertisement. A woman, believed to be a fake Facebook account, advertised a two-bedroom place house in Warnden Villages to let in Muncaster Place on a selling site. Alarm bells began ringing for the couple when details kept changing and a call through Facebook from a Worcester News reporter was answered by a man in what sounded like a call centre. It is believed scammers choose a house from right move at random and there is no suggestion the true owners of the house are aware of the scam. Miss Griffith said... She told me she wasn't available to speak as she was in hospital after a car crash in which her parents died and her phone was broken. Things on the contract kept changing. Then we knew it was a fake contract. She was asking for £750 rent and an £800 deposit. We had a lucky escape not handing over money. I went to the house and asked neighbours who the owner was. They said it was a man. One of the neighbours said two couples had actually sent deposits. Miss Griffiths, 17, said she was devastated as it was to be the couple's first home. I'm also worried because we sent personal information, like birth certificates. She made it so believable but it was a big scam, Miss Griffiths added. A reporter has seen the WhatsApp exchange between Miss Griffiths and the woman sent over the last week. The woman becomes increasingly fraught, swearing in one message, claiming Miss Griffiths was asking too many questions and demanding the pair sign the contract. A reporter visited the home, which is currently vacant, and spoke to neighbours who confirmed they'd seen couples looking round and had heard the home was at the centre of a scam. We messaged the woman, who goes under the Facebook profile Oki Maureen. When given a right to reply to the allegations, she responded, Rent and deposit also half of this second month payment, right? (laughs) An attempt to video call was picked up by a man who appeared to be in a call centre before hanging up. They didn't directly respond to the allegations. A Facebook search found the account is advertising properties across the country, including in Reading and Bradford, with others warning it's a scam account. Mm -hmm. Um, Children messing about on a canal lock and shouting abuse at residents will be dealt with by their school. Tom Neal, who lives next to Bilford Top Lock, complained to the school after being sworn at after he has in the past warned them against jumping over the lock. David Butler, principal of Tudor Grange Academy, said, As a school, we do not approve of or condone these behaviours in our community. Of the children involved, we have identified those who are students here and have liaised with their parents and the community policing team to address these behaviours. We have also met with Mr Neil to share information and offer our support and understanding with this issue. Mr Neil has also reported the issue to the local Safe and Neighbourhood team. 
He said, I was trying to explain that it is dangerous and they just kept swearing back at me saying they were not doing anything dangerous. They kept saying they could swear at me and that swearing wasn't bad, but I told them that they were offending people walking past with young children. They offended my wife. I phoned the local school and they carried on being cheeky in front of me while I was on the phone. The school asked me to film it and take photos to show to them. Mr Neil has a door cam that picks up footage from Bilford Toplock, meaning that he is able to see when children are misbehaving near the canal on their way home from school. Mr Neil said, I have spoken to the Canal and River Trust and they will be running two water safety open weekends in the summer. I saw them one day walking across a tiny ledge across the canal. It's got to be 14 feet in the air. I get lots of people say to me, uh, we all did that, and it's just kids having fun. But you have to draw the line. It's about safety. Worcester News has contacted West Mercia Police for a comment. Next, race to fix bus service. The council is under pressure to fix the county's crumbling bus service before lifeline money runs out in a matter of months. Worcestershire County Council is currently carrying out another review of the bus network after its bid for £86 million in government funding was rejected outright last month. Government Bus Recovery Grant, BRG, money, which was handed to bus operators to ensure essential services continue during the pandemic, will stop in October, which the council fears will bring further cuts to routes. Councillor Mike Rouse, who replaced Councillor Alan Amos as Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport just last week, admitted he felt the pain of the public over the state of the county's buses and was disappointed by the failed funding bid. The Council's Key Scrutiny Committee grilled the new Cabinet Member at a meeting at County Hall on Tuesday, May the 25th. Councillor Tom Wells, who chairs the Council's Key Overview and Scrutiny Performance Board, said radical change was needed as the previously viable, sensible, reliable and convenient service of 15 years ago had vanished. We need to do something radical and quickly, he said. Our bus improvement plan will not be enough on its own. It is supply and demand, but we have got to increase demand. We need to explore options that have not been explored previously. The bus operators and the marketplace aren't really helping us right now. The council is still waiting to hear back from the Department for Transport over why its bus bid failed and must also submit its review, the results of which it says will be used to create a fit-for-purpose network to ministers by July the 1st. Councillors were far from complimentary about the county's buses, with Councillor Richard Udall, who represents the City of St John's Division, telling Councillor Rouse he was inheriting a poison chalice. The committee also told the new Cabinet member that more needed to be done to encourage people to use buses, with the number of passengers at around 70% compared to pre-Covid levels. Councillor Laura Gretton, who represents the Harvington Division, 
said the council was in danger of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy if it did not do more to promote bus usage. Moira. A woman is undertaking a skydive to raise money for a mental health charity. Co-op worker Lauren Powell, 27, is jumping out of a plane to raise money for the charity Mind. Miss Powell of Devon Road, Ronxwood said, I chose Mind Charity as they are our partner charity at the co-op. They deal with people who suffer from a whole variety of mental health issues, which is something I've personally gone through in the past. So I want to raise awareness for them. Everyone's story has the right to be heard and it's okay to say you're not okay and ask for help. And that's what they do, offer support and advice. I am nervous for the skydive. It's something I've never done before, but I've always wanted to do one. I will be doing the skydive by myself in terms of co-op staff. It's a tandem skydive, so I'll be attached to a professional. Miss Powell, a store manager at the co-op in Evesham Road, has just set up a Just Giving page. She said, I want to share with you my story. Mental health is something I've personally battled for a long time. I was too afraid to speak up, open up and share my darkest thoughts. It can be a very lonely and isolating time for someone to go through. Every year, one in four of us will experience a mental health problem, but hundreds of thousands of people are still struggling. It took me a while to realise that mental illness is not your personal favour. Uh, sorry, failure. It doesn't define who you are. You need to fight the war within to survive the battle outside. Not enough people come forward to tell their story through fear of judgment, fear of no one caring or understanding. But this is your time. Your story matters. So help raise awareness. I have signed up for a charity skydive on July the 4th. Now from Saturday, May the 21st, Army of Donors Filling New Centre. The new Salvation Army Donation Centre has been transformed ahead of its opening on Tuesday, so it's by now open. Staff and volunteers are currently putting the finishing touches to the centre on City Walls Road, Worcester, and are busy encouraging people to donate. Lisa Roberts, manager for the Donation Centre, said... I am really happy the site represents the Salvation Army Trading Company beautifully. The public has been donating and stopping to look through the windows, so I feel we're already making a splash in the community. We're all really excited to open up. We have lots of stock, so we're all revved up and ready to go. Doors open on the day at 9am with the formal cutting of the tape at 2pm and a performance from a Salvation Army band. The site was formerly the bedroom centre, also a Jaguar garage, but has remained empty for a long time whilst the hunt was on for a new owner. Gareth Samuel, Development Support Manager, said, This store has been really interesting for us to open. It's a great location by the roundabout with amazing windows for people to see in. We've already had lots of interest from customers and volunteers, which is great. This is number 25 of our donation centres across the UK and Ireland. The Salvation Army Church in Worcester is located in the Trinity, but is an entirely separate entity from the Salvation Army Trading Company. John Bullock, Mission Secretary of the Salvation Army Church in Worcester, said, We've been working very closely with the Salvation Army Trading Company on this project. 
I've been popping in from when it was first taken over and have witnessed the transformation firsthand. It's so contemporary and spacious we can't wait to open up to the public. The charity has also shared they're looking for volunteers, looking to gain retail work experience. The volunteers should be aged 14 or over to help raise money for the Salvation Army in the store. For more information about volunteering or donating furniture, clothes, electrical items, books, etc., call the Salvation Army on Worcester 384253. Children at a nursery in Worcester have been brought a selection of dolls with visible disabilities in a bid to boost inclusivity. The new dolls are already having a profound effect on the children at Fairfield Day Nursery in Carnforth Dry Brickfields as they learn about different disabilities. Staff purchased the dolls from Bright Ears UK to help the children learn about disability and that everyone is different. Special Educational Needs Coordinator Emma Walkie said, We have a big ethos around inclusion and taking in every child's need and catering for them. We did a review on how we could improve inclusion with the children and we did some internet research and found out about the importance of the doll aspect and role play. A few children at the nursery need hearing aids and the company had a doll with them. We thought it would help them and some other children to take note of the additional equipment some people need. The doll was a huge success. The children with hearing aids really liked them and it spurred a lot of questions from the other children too. We decided to get some more of the dolls and kind of picked as we went along. The children enjoy using them and looking after them. It creates a sense of empathy and stimulates conversation about inclusion and how everyone is different and how we can help each other. It has been a massive success with the children and we've had lots of positive feedback from parents too. They have been talking a lot about it at home now as well. They think it's great. Fairfield Nursery brought the first doll in early 2022. Nursery staff were keen to ensure that the children all felt included and represented. Mrs Walkie added, they range from £35 to £55, which can seem very expensive, but the learning we are getting from them is invaluable. Bright Ears UK is a non-profit company that makes dolls with disabilities because we're not going to hide away with our differences. We're here, we exist, we have the right to be acknowledged and we're proud. Off-duty lifeguard leaps to the rescue. A Worcester lifeguard put his training to good use after a man was seriously hurt following disorder at a pub. A man was left with potentially serious injuries and was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital for further assessment after an injury involving a car. Will Parker, a David Lloyd Worcester lifeguard, was walking to work when the incident took place near the Blackpool Inn pub. Mr Parker said, I don't live too far from where this happened on Blackpool Road. I was on my way to work and looking down at my phone when a man flew out and landed in the road near the pub. I did not see much of the altercation beforehand, but the man was certainly injured as a result of whatever happened. I administered what medical attention my qualification permitted me to use until the paramedic crews arrived. I'm not sure how long it took for them to get there, as my focus was primarily on the casualty. 
I've not heard any more about the incident since then. PC Alan Figuero said, We have reports of a disorder happening at the Blackpool Inn and there were reports of a vehicle potentially colliding with one of the people involved in the disorder. That's as far as we know at the moment. The casualty has been taken to hospital, but for now, going to keep the scene as secure as possible so our investigators can arrive. The road will be closed for the next hour or so until we have an update on the casualty. The road was closed off at the roundabout on Blackpool Road in front of Lidl and the Blackpool Retail Park, with customers still able to gain access to both exits. One ambulance, a paramedic officer and the Midlands Air Ambulance from Strensham also attended the scene. Mm-hmm. A new micro-purp could be set to open opposite of Worcester Weatherspoons. Developers plan to turn 61 Broad Street into a new drinking spot located just across the street from the Crown, one of Worcester's branches of Spoons. An application has been sent in to Worcester City Council asking for permission to change the famous narrow building from commercial premises into the micropub. At the moment, plans are in an early stage, with documents saying it is only to establish that the change of use is acceptable. No internal or external works have been proposed yet, with the planning statement saying, the application does not propose any internal or external works at this stage, but if successful, then a planning and listed building application for such works would then be formally submitted. Although primarily an evening or nighttime activity, the micro pub would be open during the day 11am to 11pm. It could also sell beer for retail, not just for drinking on site. The application continued. The application property is currently vacant, but the surrounding units are tenanted. Thus bringing this building into active use will continue to help support the city centre and avoid any dead frontages. The complementary use and added footfall generated will only serve to help benefit the city centre as a whole. 61 Broad Street is a Grade 2 listed building, famously narrow and thin in a block of terraces. It is currently a vacant shop, located next to Café Nero and directly opposite the Crown. It was formerly known as Coppola House and is believed to have been built sometime in the 1740s. In the 1830s, naturalist and printer Edwin Lees lived at Coppola House, writing both A Natural History of Worcestershire and The Stranger's Guide to Worcester. From 1896 to 1940, it was owned by Miss Burrow, a corset maker. In recent years, it has been the location of a number of shops, including a vape shop and is currently a phone repair shop. To see the plans in full, go to planworcester.gov.uk forward slash planning forward slash display forward slash 22000241 forward slash FUL. My next article is entitled On a Wing and a Prayer. Peregrine falcon chicks have been born at Worcester Cathedral for the first time in more than a decade. These incredible pictures, these are the ones that illustrate the article, are the first look at the chicks, which are the first peregrines born at the cathedral since 2010. These chicks, four of them, hatched in April after a mated pair of peregrines nested 
laying four eggs in a nest box installed at the iconic city building. The cathedral's biodiversity advisor, Chris Dobbs, said, This is fantastic news for the cathedral and the city as a whole. Worcester is an incredibly biodiverse place, and the peregrines are part of that. He continued, The cathedral has done a great job in making sure the peregrines have bred very successfully this year, for the first time since 2010, which was on St Andrew's Spire in Deansway. This is a new pair of peregrines that have taken the territory and we now have four healthy chicks. Since hatching in April, the chicks have been monitored by a team of experts from the British Trust for Ornithology. On Tuesday, ringers from the BTO attached rings to the chicks, measured their wingspans and weighed and recorded them on the national database. Passers-by may have heard the commotion with the chicks making themselves heard during the process. Each ring has a unique letter code so the bird can be identified in the future with peregrines able to live for more than 15 years. The chicks are expected to fledge, grow feathers that will let them fly, at around 45 to 50 days old, so roughly around mid-June. Until then, experts will continue to keep an eye on their development and a live stream of the nest will be available on the cathedral's website in the coming weeks. Mr Dobbs added, Although peregrines are still quite rare, they're recovering well in the UK, largely due to the new habitats they take up in cities, of which Worcester is a great example. The birds love cathedral towers because they're similar to their natural habitat nesting sites, which include quarry faces, sea cliffs and mountainsides, as they like to have a high prospect looking over the area of their territory, which cathedral towers and other tall buildings in cities provide. Peregrines mate for life, so we can expect this pair to return to the cathedral, hopefully for many years to come. Now we're able to monitor the nest with a live camera, much like many other UK cathedrals, this will enable the cathedral to report back on the progress of the birds over the years for everybody to enjoy. People are being asked to help name the chicks by emailing info at worcestercathedral.org.uk and the illustration here is of the parent bird perched on part of the cathedral tower and the very fluffy chicks being fed. Moira. I'm at superbug outbreak. Cleanliness and issues with a cleaner were among the reasons for an outbreak of a superbug at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Problems with keeping a hospital wall clean were raised as one of the reasons the Trust had, made, had met its infection targets. The hospital will now target wards in its Aikenbury building along with its trauma and orthopaedics ward as these account for nearly 40% of their C. diff cases. Paula Gardner, Chief Nursing Officer for Worcestershire Acute NHS Hospital Trust, told a meeting that the hospital was not meeting four out of five national infection reduction targets due to the outbreak of C. diff. The board of the trust, which runs Worcestershire Royal Hospital, Kidderminster Hospital and the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch, discussed the issue at a meeting last week. 
Paula Gardner told the meeting, With regards to C. diff, where we have breached the target, there are a number of factors that can inhibit that in the sense of prescribing of antibiotics and the use of proton pump inhibitors, which is particularly used on the gastro ward where we have seen our most increase. We have also had issues with the cleaning within the Aikenbury block, particularly number four, and we have had to instruct our cleaning company to remove radiator covers. And we have also had an issue with the particular cleaner who we have given extra training to. The latest figures were revealed in an integrated performance report. The report said in 21-22 we achieved four of our five national infection reduction targets. We did not achieve our C. difficile target. Analysis of cases highlights that we need to make improvements in the following areas. Cleanliness, especially related to the estate and nursing cleanliness. Antimicrobial prescribing, mandatory training, compliance and ensuring we detect and manage patients with diarrhoea appropriately. Additional actions are being implemented, targeted initially on wards in the Aikenbury building and T&O ward as these areas accounted for 39% of cases in 21-22. Also at the meeting, the Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, Matthew Hopkins, welcomed the news that latest figures were showing the Trust was consistently performing above the national average for sickness absence rates through the COVID pandemic. The figure showed a 6.2% cumulative sickness absence rate, including COVID-related absence, for the Trust against a national rate of 6.7% and a medical and dental absence rate of 2.2% compared to a national average of 2.8% and a nursing absence rate of 7.3% against an average of 7.6%. Right, this is an article from last Friday, May the 20th, about a festival which was last weekend. But I've included it because I rather like historical Worcester articles and it's about Vesta Tilly. Trailblazing Vesta ahead of her time. And this is by Sarah Jane Morgan, Chief Executive of Worcester Theatres. This weekend, we're hosting our first Vestatilly Festival in our conveniently named Vestatilly Studio at the Swan Theatre. The festival, which is part of our Saucy Arts Council-funded project, is a festival honouring the legacy of Vestatilly, the prolific musical performer who was born in Worcester. And this article is accompanied by a photograph of Vestatilly um, dressed as a young man in full evening dress um, with very short hair, uh, a waistcoat, wing collar, evening dress coat and a buttonhole carrying pure white gloves. And if you didn't look carefully or know what to look for, you would take her as a handsome young man. Matilda Alice Pole started her career at an early age in regional theatres and always performed as a male fop. She was increasingly popular with the working-class audiences of the time as her act poked fun at the upper-class society. 
She made her London debut in 1874. It's documented that at the time she was appearing some evenings across three London venues. She became incredibly successful and very wealthy, which for her family, she had been one of 13 children, must have been significant. She toured America, assisted with the war efforts and became one of the best-known male impersonators of her era. The Vesta Tilly Festival takes place over two nights and includes free events ranging from the Kings on Camera, an exhibition of photography, to an artist's social tea, to ticketed events of theatre performances, stand-up and music, along with eclectic mix of Worcester's brand of saucy evening events. Mm-hmm. The festival in Vesta Tilly's home city celebrates an art form which has moved to be known as the art of drag kings. The festival will further explore gender diversity and non-binary identity. I should think that Vesta Tilly, were she to come back nowadays, would find that all rather puzzling. Mm. We are delighted to be joined at the festival by Ginny Lemon. They are, of course, now one of the UK's most celebrated drag artists. Vesta Tilly was perhaps ahead of her time. Worcester Theatres is definitely moving with the time. St Peter's Festival will be returning for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic. The festival will be making its comeback this July, having not taken place since 2019. This year's festival will be held in Power Park on Sunday, July the 17th from noon to 4.30pm. Parish councillor John Renshaw said, For the past two summers we've been unable to hold the St Peter's Festival due to the pandemic. Last August we held a Scarecrow Festival instead, as an event to bring the community together whilst respecting social distancing rules. I'm delighted that this summer the festival will be making a comeback and will be holding the Scarecrow Festival again in the two weeks leading up to the festival. Festival organiser Georgina Hopkinson said, Last year's Scarecrow Festival saw some really imaginative scarecrows, with the winner just having an edge over the other entries. This year we hope to see more St Peter's residents participating. Last year's winner was a scarecrow named Lion El Messe by Elliot and Ariane Rees, with some help from their grandmother Chris Rees. The winners received a £30 gift card for users to Toby Carvery in recognition of their winning scarecrow. All entrants received a certificate and a rosette in recognition of their efforts. A spokesman from this year's upcoming festival added, As well as live entertainment, a barbecue and an assortment of stalls by local businesses and charities, the results of the Scarecrow Festival will be announced. Further information on both events can be found by visiting the St Peter's Scarecrow Festival and the St Peter's Festival Facebook pages or by contacting the festival organisers by email at stpetersfestival at gmail.com. Organisers are expecting between 1,000 and 1,500 people at St Peter's residence to attend the festival. Now an article with a rather sad headline, No Light at the End of the Tunnel. People earning a good wage are being forced to turn to the food bank as energy prices continue to rise. 
Volunteers at Worcester Food Bank said they are seeing an increase in the number of people in employment needing their services. Ruth Allsop, Operations Coordinator at the Food Bank in Lowesmore, said she has seen an increase of new clients who have never used a food bank before. She says more people are using the services in order to cope with the increasing energy prices. Mrs Allsop said, Energy bills are the most frequent cost of living expense. It's so extreme, and even people who have quite a good buffer of money are seeing it being swallowed up by energy prices. She continued, The increasing cost of energy is making it harder for people to afford anything, which is why they're turning to food banks. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. If anything, we've been told it will get worse. It's quite daunting and scary for people. Worcester Food Bank provides clients with food parcels with enough food to last them three days. But some people try to make the parcel last six days by rationing themselves to eat one meal a day. Mrs Allsop said, We have the stock to support people if they need more food. But many people do spread the meals sometimes. We talk to clients who haven't eaten in three days. We tell people to not leave it till then. People need to get in touch when they've reached a crisis. They're worried about taking food from someone else who might be more desperate. Mrs Allsop says that the food bank is there to support people, but they, don't, they also don't want to exist because that would mean no one is going hungry. We want to support people and give them food, but we also don't want to exist. Mrs Allsop said, people can be apprehensive about coming to the food bank. She says, don't be worried about coming to us. We treat people with kindness and compassion. Don't feel scared about asking us for help. A prolific shoplifter who stole meat and clothes from Worcester High Street shops and who was caught carrying a knife has been jailed. Sam Wood of Barbon Road, Worcester, had avoided a prison sentence, but magistrates decided it was the last straw after hearing the details of the theft of goods worth more than £200 and the knife offence. Wood, 32, had targeted TK Maxx, leading him to be banned from that store as part of his bail. In March, magistrates had adjourned the case for an all-options pre-sentence report to be prepared, after his solicitor Mark Turnbull had requested one due to the risk of him being jailed. On May the 11th, Wood again appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court, this time for sentencing. Magistrates heard Wood had stolen a coat worth £79 belonging to TK Maxx on October the 19th last year, and a day later, on October the 20th, he stole a tracksuit worth £77.98 from Sports Direct. Wood had then returned to the TK Maxx store on November the 11th and stole clothing worth £99. He stole various meat items from Marks and Spencers on October the 4th last year. Wood had previously admitted the offence of possessing a knife blade, sharp pointed article in a public place without good reason or lawful authority, having been caught with a craft knife in Worcester on November the 18th last year. And Wood has also pleaded guilty to failing to surrender to police court bail, having without reasonable cause failed to surrender to custody at Worcester Police Station, having been released on bail. For the offence of carrying a knife, magistrates jailed him for 16 weeks.
Magistrates said that they were also jailing him for the thefts as the spree was so serious because it was aggravated by the defendant's record of offending. For the thefts, he was given a total of eight weeks. The sentence is running concurrently. Wood was told to pay a victim surcharge of £128 to be paid by August the 28th. There was no order for costs. Dying man's threat to blow up his flat. A dying man threatened to blow up his Worcester flat after making homophobic comments about his neighbours. Richard Luce of St Catherine's Vale off Wilds Lane, Worcester, was sentenced over video link at Worcester Crown Court on Monday after a request from the prison that he be released on compassionate medical grounds as he battles cancer. The 50-year-old admitted making threats to commit criminal damage by destroying his own flat, claiming he had been in the Royal Marines and had access to explosives. He told the judge, I'm going to die of cancer. I'm going to be dead in a month or two, so it doesn't matter. The incident happened on March the 22nd and Luce, described as wheelchair-bound by the judge, has been remanded in custody since March the 24th. Amy Parks, prosecuting, said Luce had threatened to burn the flat down. Officers knocked on Luce's door and he answered. They described his flat as being in disarray with furniture and other items strewn across the floor. Officers asked him if he had made the threats. He said he had and that he had been suicidal since he was four years old. He said he hated the neighbours and said, I will blow the place up, said Miss Parks. She also said he made offensive comments about their sexuality. He said he would like to shoot them all between the eyes, she said. Luce was arrested. He later told officers in interview he had access to explosives, but they were not at his address. He has 13 convictions for 27 offences, including for possession of a prohibited weapon and drug driving. The neighbours were concerned. They phoned the police to say they were concerned about the threat. There must have been some concern caused, she said. Luce, who represented himself, said he had been told to plead guilty, disputed that there had been anything wrong with my flat and that he did not have access to firearms or explosives. I've been told to lie in court. I didn't say those things in the first place. I was asked to plead guilty and say I did, he said. He added, it didn't happen, so again I have no say. It's irrelevant being here. Judge Nicholas Cole described Lucy's progress, prognosis for the metastatic cancer as poor. He was sentenced to 16 weeks in prison. As he has already served more than half of this on remand, the sentence means he will be released immediately. The judge said because of his medical condition, Luce was unlikely to be able to commit further criminal acts, particularly of a sexual or violent nature. Raising alarm at Cockrell. More Arboretum residents have come forward to say they've been kept awake by a noisy cockerel. As we reported earlier this week, the loud crowing starts as early as 4am, disturbing residents trying to sleep. 
Neighbours have been forced to complain to Worcestershire Regulatory Services, WRS, who are investigating. Dawn Brown said, We live right next door and get woken up at 4 or 5am. It's not funny when you work a 13-hour shift and you have school-aged children, one currently doing his GCSEs. I've got absolutely no problem with them having cockerels. I worked on a farm for four years and I love all animals, regardless. But my problem is the owners. If you're going to have cockerels, then you are fully responsible for providing them with appropriate accommodation. Claire Day said, It's noisy and can be heard all over the Arboretum. When you don't sleep well anyway, it's a pain. My bedroom is at the back, so I hear it if my window is open. Sonia Vickers, 48, who lives in the area, previously told us it was a nightmare for residents living in the area. It's now been eight weeks of broken sleep. My 25-year-old daughter hears it more as her bedroom is that side of the house. She's had to move to her sibling's bedroom to get some sleep. She had to be off work last week for most of the week. Some of us have gone round and politely asked to at least keep it in a dark coop until 8am before letting it out. But nothing has happened. We have asked nicely several times. A spokesman for WRS said, We have received complaints about a noisy cockerel at a property in the Arboretum area. We are actively investigating these complaints and cannot comment further at this stage. And now the stuff that dreams are made of. Couple smashes lottery records. A couple who used to live in Worcestershire have become Britain's biggest lottery winners after scooping nearly £165 million. I beg your pardon, £185 million. Joe and Jess Thwaite, 49 and 44, respectively, bagged the record-breaking Euro Millions jackpot. It's believed the lucky couple lived in Pershaw from 2009 to 15 before moving to Gloucestershire. Staff in Pendock Village store said the couple used to come into the shop regularly as customers and described them as a lovely family. Another couple were amazed to hear there was a local connection to such an enormous lottery win, saying they didn't usually play the lottery but did buy a ticket last week. Good luck to them, they added. We hope they enjoy it. Jess manages a hairdressing salon in Tewkesbury with her sister, under the company name J&R Shearing. Until March 2016, the company was registered at an address in Drake's Broughton. Jess's father, who died seven years ago, always dreamed of winning the lottery, a fantasy which has now come true for her. The win gives us time to dream, which we haven't had before, she said. My dad played the National Lottery all his life and constantly dreamed of winning. Maybe that is why I seem so chilled, as I've kind of been ready to win for years. Joe, a communications sale engineer, has been married to Jess for 11 years. They have two primary school-aged children and Joe has two children at university from a previous marriage. Jess has family links to Polo Cross, a game that is a cross between Polo and Lacrosse. Joe bought the winning ticket on the National Lottery app at around 4pm on the day of the draw. When he woke at 5.15am the next day to check on the dogs, he read the email that would change his life.
He said, I looked it up and saw we'd won. I saw how much and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't go back to sleep. The couple only recently moved into their new home, which, despite needing a lot of work, houses themselves, their family and three dogs, five chickens, two geckos and three ponies. Long queues were expected as a new fish and chip shop opened its doors for the first time. Mother Hubbard's famous fish and chip shop was offering fish and chips for just 45p on its opening day, matching the price of the meal when the chain's first brunch opened in Bradford in 1972. Franchise owner Zahid Lone said the first thousand customers through the door would be able to take advantage of the offer. And judging by the reaction to social media posts, plenty of people were expected to line up and nab themselves a bargain. But Worcestershire County Council said it had no plans to introduce any traffic measures for the opening. Back in 2009, the first KFC to open in Worcester attracted hour-long queues and swarming girls, although the opening of a second city branch was a quieter affair. Occupying the former Pizza Hut building on Shrub Hill Retail Park, Mother Hubbard's was opening at 11 today, so that was Saturday. Mr Lone, who is from Worcester, previously told us he was looking forward to the restaurant opening. It's very exciting. People have been stopping me in town to ask when we are going to open, and people walking past are always stopping and asking questions, he said. There's been a lot of encouragement from local people. It's very good. The restaurant will offer on-site dining as well as a takeaway option. The counter and ceiling will feature large video screens showing clips of sharks and fish, while on the walls will be old photographs of Worcester. These will include some historic Tallow Hill landmarks, such as the Beehive Pub, which closed in 2002, and Shrub Hill Hospital, previously known as Hilborough, which shut in 1978. The first Mother Hubbard's in Ingleby Road, Bradford, was opened on May 3rd, 1972, by Coronation Street favourite Stannin Hilda Ogden. <laughs> We have a modern feel, but still with the traditional taste to take you back to your childhood memories, the company's website says. We have the capacity to seat 60 guests in an air-conditioned and clean environment to ensure that you enjoy the experience of dining at Mother Hubbard's. Hospices thanks for supporters. A charity that provides vital care to local children is dedicating a week of appreciation to express gratitude to its supporters across Worcester. Acorns Children's Hospice, which in the past year has cared for 225 children and their families from their Worcestershire-based hospice, is thanking supporters in the city for helping make its care possible. The Acorns Thank You Week, May the 23rd to 29th, will see grateful colleagues from across the charity thank as many of its supporters as possible through letter, email, phone and in person. On Wednesday, May the 25th, Acorns fundraising teams would also be holding a special thankathon picking up the phone and personally calling supporters to thank them for their contribution over the past year. Acorn's Chief Executive Toby Porter said, 
This week, we wanted to take the opportunity to show our many friends across the city and community how much we value their amazing support, support which is right now benefiting hundreds of local families. The generosity of local people and organisations who kindly fundraise, run, walk, bake cakes, jump out of planes or volunteer their time in our hospices, events or shops is phenomenal and completely humbling. Acorn's Thank You Week is all about showing your gratitude and highlighting that incredible support without which we wouldn't be able to continue. Acorns provides specialist palliative care for life-limited and life-threatened children and support for their families across the West Midlands and Gloucestershire. The charity's work includes a diverse number of services, including support for parents, siblings and grandparents, short breaks, emergency and end-of-life care. At the charity's three hospices, children have access to a homely environment staffed with highly skilled nursing teams and can take part in a range of fun, educational and therapeutic activities, regardless of ability. The vast majority of funds Acorns needs to continue comes from donations and the profits of its network of charity shops. Toby added, without the generosity of local people and organisations, it simply would not be possible to provide the vital care local families need across our region, whether it's in the hospice or in the home. So, whoever you are and however you support us, on behalf of everyone at Acorns, a huge thank you. To find out more about Acorns Thank You Week, visit acorns.org.uk forward slash thank you week. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. My thanks to Moira and to Alex for reading and recording and to Carol Hartle for leading our vital admin provision. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. And we'll finish now with the obituaries. Moira, please start. Okay, Doreen, or Doe Williams, nay Long of Warnden, passed away peacefully in hospital, surrounded by her family on 7th of May 2022, aged 87 years. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 27th of May at 3.15. Henry Marsh passed away on May the 13th, 2022, aged 94 years. Funeral service at Holy Redeemer Church, Pershaw, on Tuesday, May the 31st at 11.30am, followed by interment in Pershaw Cemetery. Family flowers only, please. Edwin Green passed away peacefully in hospital on Thursday the 5th of May, aged 93. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday 9th of June at 1pm. 
Rudy Melin Simonson passed away peacefully at his home on May the 9th, 2022, aged 94 years. The funeral service and celebration of his life will take place at St George's Roman Catholic Church on Monday, June the 6th at 2pm, followed by a burial at Aswood Cemetery. Philip Henry John Bone passed away peacefully on the 11th of May 2022, aged 89 years. Funeral service to take place at Lower Broadheath Church on Wednesday the 1st of June at 11.30am, followed by an interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please. Elizabeth Jane Cadogan, Liz, passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Saturday the 23rd of April 2022, aged 79 years. Funeral service to take place on Tuesday the 31st of May 2022 at Worcester Crematorium at 3pm, followed at Founds Hotel. Josephine Elizabeth Priddy, Betty, sadly passed away on the 5th of May 2022, aged 85 years. The funeral mass will take place on Thursday, June the 9th, 2022, at 12 noon at Sacred Heart Church, followed by burial at St Mary's. Flowers are welcome. Chris Jeffries, RIP. Chris passed away on the 14th of May, 2022, aged 67 years. The funeral would take place at St Francis of Assisi Church, High Wycombe, on Thursday the 16th of June at 11am, with a burial afterwards at Wycombe Cemetery. Family flowers only, please. Bridget Corley, Bridey, nay Tierney, formerly of Galway, Era passed away peacefully at St Stephen's Care Home on the 27th of April 2022, aged 88 years. A requiem mass will be held at St George's Catholic Church on Monday 6th of June 2022 at 11.30am, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Brian Stratford, Stratty passed away peacefully 10th of May 2022, aged 81 years. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Tuesday, May the 31st at 12 noon. Family flowers only.